don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. All right, guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I'm hitting another quick read today. Uh, this one actually we read on. Oh, great! I don't never even bothered to look up what episode it was. We read a little bit back by Nick Batia. We had him on the show, um, and we also uh, read his. Um, was it the time value of Bitcoin, or time? Oh no! I fail so hard. Ah, ha, here it is. Okay, it was episode 109, The Bitcoin Risk Spectrum. And this is actually a part three of four in a series. At the, at the time, he had not written part one. He post-wrote part one. Um, and then we had him on the show to discuss it more in depth in episode, um, or the third crypto chat episode um, with Nick Batia on the future financial markets and Bitcoin in general. So now we're actually going to go back and listen or read the very first in this series, um, which again was not out at the time. Um, but And we may go through this whole thing. There's a lot of good stuff here, and it's all about the Lightning Network reference rate and explaining how layers work. And that's what part one, which we will read today, is about. It's about the analogy and what it means to have a second layer on top of Bitcoin, how it's similar to gold, and how it's a little bit different. And I'll, you know, always throw in uh, some commentary here because I love this topic. Um, uh, but this one is, uh, again, by Nick Batia, which we will link to his Medium page, tag him in Twitter, all that great stuff. You definitely got to follow this guy. He's, uh, he's done some great work and continues to put it out. Um, and uh, this one is titled... The Bitcoin Second Layer, The Lightning Network Reference Rate, Part 1 of 4. Bitcoin's anti-fragile protocol and its exponentially increasing network effects make it a behemoth, gradually swallowing up global economic activity. The latest of these network effects is a second layer protocol called Lightning Network, which uses Bitcoin's base layer protocol as its security. The concept of layered money is not new in monetary history. In this writing, I'll be using gold as an analogy to describe why Bitcoin will evolve in layers on its way to world reserve currency status. Layered Money Gold has served as money for millennia due to its unique chemical properties and its global network effects. But gold has not acted as money only in its raw physical form or on its first layer. Gold is a perfect example of how a layered money system evolves. Let's take a look at gold as money in a four-layered example. I will describe the rule set or protocol of each gold layer so the reader can imagine similarities to Bitcoin's layered protocol approach. The first layer of gold is the physical gold in its raw form after it is mined, gold nuggets. The protocol of gold's base layer has only one rule. 
the element must adhere to the properties of the periodic table's 79th element. If it does, it is gold. If it does not, it is not gold. Consensus around this 79th element protocol is millennia old. The second layer of gold is raw gold that has been melted and shaped into bars and coins following a standardized protocol of purity, weights, and measures. Mints can be controlled by governments or by private enterprise, but the coinage will only be considered money by users if the 79th element first layer protocol is followed. The third layer of gold is gold certificates. These are claims issued by banks that have taken gold on deposit. Third layer banks will only use gold coins and bars that follow the consensus second layer protocol of purity weights and measures and only from mints that are properly following the 79th element protocol. These certificates can act as money but carry counterparty risk of the issuer. The fourth layer of gold is certificates backed by bank-issued gold certificates. A liquidity provider can issue these certificates, which would require several layers of trust by the user. Somebody accepting fourth-layer gold as money has to trust that the liquidity provider has real gold certificates, which are backed by physical gold at a bank that follows a standardized purity for gold deposits. Each layer uses the layer beneath it for consensus and security. Money will always see a multiple-layered expansion as it evolves, and each layer has costs and benefits. You can mine your own gold, but this process is very expensive with a high barrier to entry. You can buy gold coins and bars easily in most parts of the world, but using them for day-to-day -day commerce is unfeasible. As a merchant, you can accept gold coins, but either have to trust the purity or assay the gold yourself. Once you're using the paper certificate layers, you are now engaged in counterparty risk, but have easier capacity for transactions. Each layer serves a different function. Base layers are for final settlement, where higher layers are for facilitation of economic activity. Bitcoin's first layer. Bitcoin's first layer, or base layer, is a protocol proposed in 2008 that has reached a global state of consensus as it approaches its 10th birthday. Bitcoin's unit of account, also called Bitcoin, has exchange rates with currencies around the world in markets that are growing in depth and liquidity. The protocol itself has added vital updates in its young life that have strengthened both security and usability. The network's uptime and its ability to prevent double spins are relentless. Critics of Bitcoin often incorrectly identify a feature of Bitcoin, its slow speed, as a flaw. Bitcoin's confirmation process is meant to be slow because of security reasons. The intent of Bitcoin is censorship-resistant, scarce digital cash, not a speedy payments solution. The best way to think about Bitcoin's base layer protocol is as a final settlements layer. The final settlement of physical gold is also a slow, clunky, and expensive process. Imagine, for example, companies in different parts of the world settling large balances of gold by loading ships with physical gold bars and sailing fortunes hundreds of miles across seas. Not only is the delivery an arduous process, but the verification process is also quite a task. In theory, 
every single piece of metal would have to be tested for purity. This process should be considered as historical context for what is required to have true final settlement of scarce money. The energy consumption required to find valid blocks has dramatically increased over time, which increases security. But difficulty adjustments ensure Bitcoin still averages six blocks per hour. Centralization and attack vulnerability, while both permanent concerns to owners of Bitcoin, have not prevented huge sums of capital to be stored in Bitcoin's denomination. The denomination, commonly known as BTC, despite its commonly quoted exchange rates with fiat currencies, stands alone as a final settlement asset. With a secure and reliable final settlement layer firmly in place, development of higher layers can ensue. Enter the Lightning Network. Bitcoin's Second Layer Lightning Network is a second layer protocol on top of Bitcoin. The protocol uses Bitcoin as its native denomination, meaning that Lightning can only be used by those with real Bitcoin. Under the hood, Lightning Network is a web of bi-directional payment channels, but the protocol's functionality is beyond the scope of this writing. The important takeaway is that Lightning allows for the instantaneous transfer of Bitcoin from peer to peer with one considerable difference from the first layer. Channel balances can adjust, but do not require immediate settlement on the base layer. Simply stated, Lightning transactions are unsettled Bitcoin transactions. Having unsettled Bitcoin comes with risk, however. Bitcoin held in Lightning Network payment channels can be stolen by malicious actors if node operators are not properly monitoring the channels and the base layer. Malicious actors have a strong disincentive to steal, however, as fraudulent activity gives the victim ability to sweep all the funds from the channel. Now that we've covered some of Lightning Network's basics, let's take a look at the importance and significance of this new layer on top of Bitcoin. The Importance of Lightning Firstly, the Lightning Network is a zero-sum, fully reserved routing network. You may only use Lightning if you bring in real Bitcoin, and all routing fees earned by liquidity providers are paid for by liquidity consumers. This allows Lightning Network to operate with one of the primary features of Bitcoin, its limited supply. Secondly, Lightning does not carry the burden of base layer confirmation. This allows for Bitcoin to be exchanged ad infinitum without consuming precious block space. Lightning nodes can decide to take final settlement of their Bitcoin by broadcasting the correct state of a payment channel to the base layer at any time, but they don't have to. Lastly, Lightning transactions can be interpreted as financial agreements, making Lightning Network a capital market layer. The network structure is built as a market for capital and liquidity. Bitcoin can now instantaneously fly around the world without having to wait an hour for final settlement. The two core components to any financial transaction, time value and risk premium, can be derived from lightning transactions. Opportunity cost trade-offs can be calculated and Bitcoin can be leased on a short-term basis to the network without surrendering one's private keys. With gold, there is no way to accrue positive interest on capital without surrendering the physical metal. This makes Lightning Network 
an absolute game changer for the entire concept of capital markets. Income without explicit counterparty default risk. Conclusion Bitcoin is often referred to as digital gold, but I'll propose a more specific analogy. Bitcoin's base layer is like digital physical gold, while Lightning Network is like digital paper gold, but without the counterparty risk. The second layer is unsettled and less secure, but infinitely more usable. Bitcoin is incredible at censorship resistance and decentralization, but frankly terrible at speed and efficiency. Critics of Bitcoin completely miss the fact that speed and efficiency should take place on higher layers, not on the base layer. Lightning's arrival will show the world Bitcoin's true capabilities. If gold could only be used as a physical metal, global economic activity would have been prohibitive on a gold standard. Thankfully, paper gold satisfied the liquidity and capital market layer. Lightning Network ensures Bitcoin's path to global reserve currency because it makes Bitcoin come alive. Once Bitcoin can be transacted around the world without the constraint of a slow confirmation process, it can graduate from reserve asset to reserve currency. Lightning Network finally frees Bitcoin from its base layer shackles. Further reading. This article is a prelude to my previous work. I have decided to make this article part one of four in my series, The Lightning Network Reference Rate. Please also check out the second and third parts of this four-part series. In part two, The Time Value of Bitcoin, I introduce the concept of LNRR, or the Lightning Network Reference Rate. In part three, the Bitcoin risk spectrum, I discuss the reasons why LNRR can be a monumental innovation for Bitcoin-denominated capital markets. Part four, coming soon, will be titled The Lightning Network Reference Rate. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash timevalueofbtc. And I encourage you to do so as well. Do not forget to follow him at time value of BTC, no spaces, um, on Twitter. Uh, this whole series is really good. Um, I've read, I don't think I've read part four, but I have read the first three. Obviously, I read the Bitcoin Risk Spectrum on the podcast. Um, so if you would like to go that, back to that one again, that was episode 109. Um, but uh, Nick Bati was the first to really kind of or at least the first that I saw really kind of diving into the specifics of what a capital market and the future of financial markets built on top of Bitcoin could look like. Uh, and he kind of had that aha moment when he was learning about the Lightning Network. And we talk about that in the Crypto Chat episode. It was Crypto Chat uh, number three. Uh, definitely go back and check that one out. It's really, really good. Nick Batia covers so many awesome things uh, in that episode. Um, but... That's one of these things about, uh, it's funny, this is a, such a good analogy, but, and maybe maybe this is just a limit, like, everybody's going to see what they want to see in this, but this is regularly used as a reason to explain that fractional reserve is going to happen on top of Bitcoin again. And Lightning Network is the antithesis of that. Um, it could not have less to do with it. Um, the, the, it's a, it is a completely... Is a fully reserved, 
multi-sig contract. And I hear it over and over again that like, I'll tell people it's like, oh, it's a fully backed contract. You can't just change that. And they're like, oh, that's until they change it. I'm like, who changes it? One thing you got to understand with this is the Lightning Network seriously changes the concept of a financial agreement because you are writing your own agreement. You write your contract in the Lightning Network. And the only channels that you are concerned with are the ones that have your signature. It does not matter what happens between you and the party that you're spending as long as their channel gets the Bitcoin across and your channel gets the Bitcoin out. The the steps in between, if some idiot is sending Bitcoin forward without rebalancing their channel, without like pulling it from, from the route somehow, which is not, it wouldn't even make any sense because it's a hash time lock contract. So they happen in... Uh, kind of a ladder of uh, execution start at the end and then run all the way back to the beginning so it i don't even technically see how it could be possible but let's say it does happen let's say some stupid bank is just not worrying about the hash time lock and they're literally just confirming that this bitcoin goes through it doesn't matter to the person at the end or the person at the beginning the bank is screwing themselves they cannot screw some they cannot send fake lightning points into your channel. Your channel is your Bitcoin with your signature fully backed reference to the blockchain. If you do not write your contract so that you supposedly allow yourself, allow yourself, that's the big key. The contract stipulates that you can only receive that which is in the channel. You could probably agree to one with a scammer that said, I'll allow you to pay me three times what's in this channel and I'll completely change my software and design it around the ability to screw myself out of money and take on counterparty risk and just accept it as an IOU from you. But that's not the Lightning Network and you would be the idiot. You would be the one that rewrote the contract to allow yourself to accept Lightning points instead of Bitcoin. So... It so has nothing to do with this that I almost hate the fact that the gold analogy is such a good analogy because paper gold comes with counterparty risk. You don't know if there's gold behind it. The Lightning Network does not have that counterparty risk. Not only do you know Bitcoin is behind it, you've signed with that Bitcoin behind it and you continue to sign a valid transaction with that backed Bitcoin. There is no going outside of that scope unless you completely alter the software and download a program that lets somebody send you fake Bitcoin points, which if you do that, you deserve to lose your Bitcoin because you're dumb. But that that whole point just drives me crazy that I still see it over and over again. I think it's just a complete lack of understanding of how the Lightning Network works. Um and if you would like a better understanding of it, I go through literally piece by piece. I hit Aaron Von Wordham's entire three-part series um, and then answer a lot of the FUD, that one included, about lightning coins um, in episodes 47, 48, 49, and 50. Uh, 50 is my article, 47, 48, and 9 are Aaron Von Wordham's uh, breakdowns with my uh, analogies and explanations following the episodes. So if you do want to dig into the real nitty-gritty of how Lightning Network, how, how the smart contract works, those are some great episodes to do that on. I've had a lot of 
uh, great feedback from that. People have really appreciated those episodes. So um, uh, definitely dig into that if you'd like to. One of the really interesting things about this whole concept, particularly as layers, is that um, they're very basic scripts that put all this together. It's, it's essentially a, uh, a multi-signature, meaning that you, know, you need two keys um, to, uh, uh, to make any changes to the channel balances. And then you have essentially little insurance policies that are single key signed. So you have an insurance policy to get the current state closed, even if the other party dies or runs away or has an EMP nearby and all their electronic equipment goes out and they lose all their coins, you can still execute the contract from your side. That insurance policy simply comes with a wait time. And they sign that prior to the update of the new state. So there's never like this in-between state where you've agreed to pay more money but don't have the ability to, to take yours back in the case of some terrible event or just, you know, a malicious actor. Uh, so that's what gives it a no-counterparty risk is you have an insurance policy and if part of that insurance policy there is a secondary clause that if they try to execute a previous insurance policy without your signature one that says that like if we've updated this a thousand times transaction two is no longer valid so if they try to execute the insurance policy of transaction two you have a a secondary insurance policy that's a punishment clause that says i have a later state and you just tried to publish an early state therefore i'm going to wipe the entire channel and this is also something that they had previously signed at state three. They gave up the keys that made this possible. So they're trying to publish state two. State three basically hands over the key that opens up the lock, um, which is why going backwards is punishable and has an insurance policy. And going forward is the only way to validly and quickly close the channel. So everybody is incentivized very well to stay honest, and it's exactly why there has yet to be any case that I have heard of, and people are testing it very, very hard, um, to, that a malicious actor has stolen funds in a channel because the insurance policy is the time lock works, and the insurance policy is very, very, very hard to fight um, because all you have to do is be present and watch the blockchain. That's pretty much it. And uh, uh, the, in fact, the only cases where people have lost money in the Lightning Network is where a node crashes and they did not have a full backup. So they accidentally, like, like say you're on state 1000 of uh, channel, and as you're updating and signing the keys and everything, your node crashes and they get the updated state 1000. But then you try to boot up your system and your system has state 999 and did not properly save, like state 1000 got corrupted then you try to sync and your node automatically publishes 999, then suddenly you look like a cheater. You look like somebody trying to reverse that previous transaction and then they can punish you with the punishment clause. Uh, and that is something that the L2 proposal, proposal? The L2 proposal is uh, trying to create a solution for that rather than a punishment clause, it's simply 
pushes the valid state through um, to mitigate the losses of hardware failures um, and additionally help with that counterparty risk because there's still little to no incentive to try to cheat and the um, process of uh, countering a cheater is actually simpler and the backup process instead of requiring all 1,000 states to be backed up you only have to back up state 1,000. So there's a, there's a lot of technicalities involved in that, but it's a fascinating update to this protocol. But this is layer two right now, but it's really interesting because we already have the pieces of the puzzle to actually turn it into layer three because every Lightning Network uh, channel is a two of two multisig. It's just a, it's a pool of funds between two different players and you have a connection with them, a single connection through them that's liquid to, that has funds available for whatever y'all both put in the channel. But you can also do a four of four, and that's like having, rather than one connection, you have three connections out into the internet, but that pool of funds can be moved completely lopsided to any uh, of the other players in it. It does require all three of them to be online, but you can close and open channels without ever settling yet again. You can settle with the 404 rather than the full blockchain, um, which means that you only ever have part of your funds locked up, and again, you have an insurance contract. Somebody drops out of the agreement, you can still close and open channels with the other participants in the um, uh, in this little channel factory is what it's referred to as, um, and um, uh, and wait for them to come back online, or you can just say this guy's unreliable. Let's reset our four of four with maybe a three of three, and make a smaller channel factory and kick this guy out who's being really useless and kind of causing us a headache. Um, so there's so many interesting dynamics, and that there's really no limit to how far you can take that and it really shows the power of a couple of simple scripts being used as kind of lego pieces to build these massive complex agreements and it's very similar with things like mast and uh, uh, trees you can you can basically have signatures that that create trees of sub signatures and sub party agreements and everybody can continue to update and sign and move within these, this tree of signatures. And then whatever the final, let's say everybody's, um, you know, settling and changing um, contracts in a company or whatever. And how many hours somebody has worked or contributions and projects that they've worked on. And then it's settled at the end of every day. You can have tons of transactions or alterations of these contracts based on multi-sig that is uh, just altering signatures like between the agreements that jump things up and down a tree of transactions, um, all secured by a single like 40 of 40 of everybody in this little company, uh, mast style transaction on the blockchain. So it looks like one transaction, one signature, one set of inputs. And at the end of the day, let's say, you know, only six people get paid because it was an agreement and a whole bunch of people didn't show up for work. It was just a Saturday, so people are working overtime. You only see those six branches get closed out. Um, 
so there's just there's so many like it's so hard to describe the the possibilities the potential of building this thing out into additional layers and uh, uh, entirely new security measures and levels of decentralized and limitless. I mean, imagine being in, in a company where all the contracts are written as a set of multi-signature agreements and you can actually take what is owed and bow out of the company if something goes wrong without having to trust that the company... Like, you've already got the signature that allows you to close the agreement on the blockchain whether your employer gives you permission to or not. It, it, it allows the ability to organize with people who have no idea who each other are. I think, I think we will see... I think these will start to be the breadcrumbs or the little Lego pieces that lead us to really kind of amorphous styles of institutions that are just kind of people coming together and working on things and making agreements that don't necessarily know each other. They just kind of come together online and have these pseudo-informal, okay, join, join the party, let's get on telegram or whatever system we're using to communicate and organize the project and all the financial agreements are a series of layered smart contracts that all execute back to the blockchain so you don't really have to trust anybody after the multi after everybody has signed the transaction and set the um, rules of the institution or the agreements everybody can know that they can always exit if something goes wrong and that's kind of a two layers, three layers out extrapolation of what the Lightning Network is doing just between two parties. But this, there's no way that's going to stay limited to just two parties. That's going to become four-party groups and contracts. That's going to be 20-party groups and contracts. That's going to be, I really think it's going to be the birth of a new type of institution and network. Um, that are centered around secure financial agreements that can be executed to Bitcoin. Uh, and what makes it such an awesome settlement layer is it's like a judge. It's like a courtroom that has a completely unbiased judge that just looks at the contract and can know objectively what was going on and will execute accordingly. And you don't have to trust anybody involved. You don't have to worry that the blockchain's going to interpret it weird or wonder if this one little clause about if done with the institution, you don't own it type thing. Like the, there's so much murky, like undefined mess in our court system that, and finance is not that. There's a whole lot of foundations of financial agreements that isn't messy, that is very just numbers and partial ownership that can be automated. We've just had no real secure way to do it. Um, so I'm, I'm really getting in the weeds here, but it's just such a fascinating concept. Like the Lightning Network shows such promise in almost a proof of concept of how we can build capital markets on top of it. And Nick Batia has a lot of awesome work specifically on this topic that's kind of his 
expertise, if you will, in this space. Uh, and he actually, um, I definitely don't don't miss Crypto Chat episode three. Um, he really, we really go into a lot of this topic and talk about his history and um, the uh, certification that he has um, and kind of his background. But with that, I think um, I think we'll end this one here. Uh, this is just a really cool concept, and I love this because it just shows how much potential this has and gives us a really clear picture of how we can evolve this without compromising the base layer and without having to constantly update something that runs the risk of completely destroying the security profile or the security assumptions and opening enormous risk to the entire system. You know, you don't want to be changing out engine parts on a plane carrying 90 people that's flying at 20,000 feet. And that's what a bunch of core developers talk about that. It's like, that's what it's like um, uh, updating and making changes to Bitcoin is it feels like you're, you're working, you're doing mechanical work on a plane that is flying through the air carrying a bunch of passengers. Um, and when you do that, you don't want to be changing pistons and just hope everything is going to go okay. Um, so conservatism and the layered approach, which does not undermine the base layer and adds incredible functionality like instantaneous transaction, simplified escrow, um, uh, pr practically zero fee or like one Satoshi transaction fees. Um, it just has a huge impact on what you can do with this technology and the features and scope of what's possible without actually undermining its trustless nature, without having to still trust some third party with your keys. You don't have to do that with the Lightning Network, and I think it shows the promise of being able to do that and extrapolate it to even additional layers and never never fully giving up or fully opening yourself up to the risk of someone else taking your money from you. Unless, of course, you freely give that up in some way. But it's just really exciting to see um, new layers of uh, trust-minimized financial agreements that always have an um, individual fallback uh, mechanism that nobody can contest. All right, that'll close us. Don't forget to follow Nick Batia. Check out the article on Medium. Give it a huge round of applause if you liked that one. Um, and uh, uh, we may go into part two and then part four, um, but uh, don't know yet. We'll see how everything plays out as we move forward. I got a bunch of new stuff coming around, so don't forget to follow me at The Crypto Economy on Twitter. You can find my Mastodon link right there in my Twitter description if you want to follow me there as well. And, um, of course, on Medium at The Crypto Economy. And uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave me some feedback. It's great. Thank you so much to everybody who has. Cannot believe what a huge difference that has made. Um, and that's a really easy way to help get the show out there and, you know, share it with all your friends who want to learn about Bitcoin. I think I got another little series coming up soon uh, that I think will be specifically good for noobs in the space. Uh, so keep an ear out for that. 
And um, if you would like to support the show directly, uh, feel free to donate to my Bitcoin address. A huge thank you to everyone who has. It really it does wonders at keeping this thing running. Um, and uh, uh, also, you can purchase your Trezor hardware wallet through my affiliate link, which will be no added cost to you, and you'll throw a couple of bucks my way. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been the Crypto Economy Podcast. I will catch you all tomorrow. And until then, take it easy.